this is our fourth year that Genesis has been involved with on behalf of the hungry and specifically with Shepherd Community Center, who's a great partner of ours on the east side, near east side of Indianapolis. And uh, so today we wanted to give you a little peek. We don't have a whole lot of ministry partners as we think about um, doing ministry here locally and regionally and all throughout the world. We only have a few partners that we really um, have a great relationship with, and we try to invest a lot of time and resources and send people to those things, and Shepherd Community Center is one of those. And so we're blessed today to have Jeremy Height here. Jeremy is the Director of Church Relations for Shepherd Community Center, and uh, I heard his message first service. You're really going to be excited by what Jeremy has to share with you. So uh, will you help me welcome to the stage Jeremy Height? Good morning. Apparently, the word got out in the last service that I might have a spitting problem. I don't, there's this splash zone right here. Um, I'm excited to get to be with you all here today. My name's Jeremy Height, and with me is my wife, Ritu, and my sister, Jill. And we're excited to, to be here today to talk a little bit about how God is at work in our lives and how God is on the move on the near east side of Indianapolis at a place called Shepherd Community Center. And uh, someone asked in between uh, the last service and this one, said, now, you said Jeremy Height. I thought Jay Height was coming. And I forgot to mention this last service. I want to make sure I say this on the front end. I'm not Jay. That's my father. Um, but he's down with pneumonia and has been for the last couple of weeks. And so I've stepped in and I'm sharing uh, in his stead. And he's also recovering from Achilles surgery. So if he was here, he would probably have to be like in two chairs with his foot propped up. So I'm slightly more mobile and I can definitely breathe a whole lot better than he can right now. And yeah. um, how many of you know a little bit about Shepherd? Raise your hand if you know a little bit about Shepherd, about who we are. Uh, for those of you who don't, we were started Thanksgiving 1985, just over 30 years ago, at a Thanksgiving meal outreach. And out of that, we started a church and a community center. And now, 30 years later, we are striving on the Near East Side to break the cycle of poverty by meeting the physical, emotional, academic, and spiritual needs of our neighbors and to show them the love of Christ. And my family, our story intersects with Shepherd about 30 years ago, or 20 years ago. So 10 years into it. 20 years ago, both my parents came on staff at Shepherd, and I, as a four-year-old, moved with my parents, and as a family, we moved here from Cincinnati. So I grew up at Shepherd as a full-time volunteer, whether I liked it or not, as a pastor's kid. But I also had the opportunity to grow up in our programming at Shepherd's, to be a part of the elementary, middle, and high school. I went to Heritage Christian High School, not too far from here, uh, graduated, went on to college at a place called Olivet Nazarene University, where I met my wife, Ritu. We graduated, got married, and I got a master's in urban ministry, and then have been serving back here at Shepherd as our director of church relations ever since. And today, I want to share with you a little bit about Shepherd and what we're doing, but just as importantly, why we do what we do. Now, there's this story uh, told, a, a Jewish tale about a rabbi named Rabbi Akiva who lived during the first century A.D., shortly after the time of Jesus. And the story goes that Rabbi Kiva was walking home one day from the market. And as he was walking, he was doing what any good Jewish person would have done during that time, which is recite and meditate on Scripture. So he's repeating it over and over again to himself. And we're told in this story that the specific passage that he was reciting was out of Isaiah. Isaiah 43, verses 10 and 11. And the author tells us there that, you are my witnesses, O Israel. You are my servant. You have been chosen to know me, believe in me, and understand that I am God, that I alone am God. There is no other God. There has never been, and there never will be. I, yes, I am the Lord, and there is no other Savior. 
So as the rabbi, Rabbi Kiva, is reciting this over and over again and getting in the God zone, he, when he comes to a fork in the road where taking him left would have taken him home, he accidentally went right and didn't realize his error until sometime later as darkness set and, and dust came upon him, and he came up on a Roman fort. And out of the looming darkness, he heard a, a voice shout two questions. Who are you? What are you doing here? Kind of startled him. He looked around, tried to figure out where the voice came from, and then saw a guard standing on the top of the gate. And all he could really squeak out was the question, what? And so the guard replied back, who are you? What are you doing here? And the rabbi, rather than answering those two questions, responded with a question of his own. He said, how much do they pay you to ask people those two questions? And after being startled a little bit himself, the guard replied back, two drachma a week, which a drachma during that time would have been about a day's wage. And then the rabbi looked back up at him and with great conviction said, I will pay you twice that amount if you come with me, stand outside my house every morning and ask me those two questions. Who are you and what are you doing here? How we answer those two questions will dramatically impact what our lives look like here on earth. But as Christians, before we can even understand fully who we are, we have to understand whose we are. About two years ago, Ritz and I had the opportunity and privilege to lead a mission trip to India. Uh, we led a group of students from our alma mater, Olivet, and went to central India and served there for a couple weeks. Got to work with an after-school program with some children there. And one of the other major things we did was share sermons and devotionals in Bible studies, prayer meetings, church services, things of that nature. And while we had prepared stuff beforehand, when we got there, we wanted to make sure we were covering material that was at least halfway relevant to the people that we were sharing with. So we asked our host and our guide, you know, what is good scripture to talk about? What's good sermon content? And every single time, their response was this. The Gospels, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and specifically the parables of Jesus. And after hearing that a few times, we, out of curiosity, asked, you know, why those specific passages? And their response, at least for me, uh, was a little bit surprising, though maybe it shouldn't have been. If you know anything about India, you know that Christianity is not the major religion in that nation. Uh, Hinduism is, and the second largest one is Islam. For those who follow Hinduism or follow Islam... Our Old Testament, if they were to hear sermons, hear stories from our Old Testament, it doesn't sound that much different than what they've grown up hearing in their own religion. There's some character similarities and some comparable timelines and plots uh, in our stories in the Old Testament compared with what they have. So for them, if they just hear something from the Old Testament, they, it doesn't calculate why they would turn their back on their religion and in the process their family and their culture and their heritage for a religion that doesn't sound that much different from what they know and from what they already serve. Except for Jesus. In Jesus, Christianity has what neither of those religions or what no other religion can claim, that we have a God who loves us so much that he came to earth as a man, fully God, fully man, died on the cross, died for our sins, for our salvation. No other religion can claim that. It's, it's an amazing thought. I mean, we, we, we heard it read out of Romans earlier, and, and we sang about it, that, that we serve a God who paid it all for us. And so Jesus is, is the defining marker of the Christian faith. Now, maybe you've been where I, uh, where I was two years ago, 
where I knew that. I mean, I grew up in the church. I'm a pastor's kid. But the uniqueness and the amazingness of having a God who loves us that much and the uniqueness of, of Jesus had kind of worn off. But that's not the case in India. The last Sunday we were there, Reed, and I had the opportunity to share in a church service. She shared her testimony of how she converted into Christianity, and I shared the sermon that morning. And as we wrapped up and the congregation was singing a final song, I was sitting in the back of the stage uh, in some chairs next to the senior pastor. And he leaned over to me and whispered to me during the song that out of the about 120 people that were crammed in that room that morning, about 90 of them weren't Christians. They were all Hindus who had been showing up for the last several weeks because they wanted to know more about this guy they had heard about. They wanted to learn more about Jesus. So Jesus is the central and the necessary element to our faith. And how do people learn about Jesus? Well, mainly through, through two ways. Through the Bible and through us, Christians. We're told in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, that we, Christians, are therefore God's ambassadors as though he was making his appeal through us. Which, at least for me, is a little bit of a scary thought. I know myself pretty well, and I wouldn't trust myself with that responsibility. But Jesus does. He trusts and trusts all of us who are his followers, Christians, with that responsibility. And whether we like it or not, when we go out throughout the world and people see us and they know that we're Christians, the expectation, their viewpoint, more than likely is that whatever we do in a given situation is what Jesus would do if he was in our shoes in that situation, which is a great responsibility to be his ambassadors to the world. So as Christians, we need to act like Jesus. And the more we study Jesus in the Bible, the more we learn about him. And the more we learn about him, the more we can begin to act like him. So in our story with Rabbi Akiva, he was asked two questions. Who are you? What are you doing here? For us, as Christ followers, the answer to the first question of of who we are is we're ambassadors for Christ. And the answer to the second question, what are we doing here, is actually answered, I believe, in part in the passage that Rabbi Akiva was reciting in that story. And I want to look at it again. It's it's Isaiah 43, 10, and 11. But you are my witnesses, O Israel. You are my servant. You have been chosen to know me, believe in me, and understand that I alone am God. There is no other God. There never has been, and there never will be. I, yes, I am the Lord, and there is no other Savior. For us, what are we to do here? What, What are we doing we're witnesses, witnessing to the world. We are witnesses of Christ to the world. Unleashing the love of Jesus Christ to those around us. And wit, being witnesses to the world is sometimes known as evangelism. And evangelism is true to the scripture only when it's as focused on the physical present needs of a person as to their spiritual condition. And to put it another way, evangelism is caring about the hungry stomach and the hungry heart. And living out this evangelism, this being a witness, is something that we could call compassion. And for those of us who follow Christ, to live a life of compassion, we should live a life of compassion like Jesus. So understanding the compassion of Jesus will impact how we live out compassion in our own lives. And for me, my understanding of the compassion of Jesus uh, was severely altered about a year ago as I started reading through the book of Mark and came across in the first chapter an early story of one of his miracles. In Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 42, we're told that a man with leprosy 
came to him, came to Jesus, and begged him on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. So here on, early in the book of Mark, we have this beautiful story of this man with this great need of of being stricken with leprosy, coming to Jesus and asking him to heal him, and Jesus heals him. And if you were to read the next few verses, we're told that Jesus told him, now go and don't tell anyone of this. And the next thing that that guy does is goes and tells everyone about it, because apparently he wasn't that good of a listener. And in this passage, though, I want to look at the first three words in verse 41, which was, Jesus was indignant. Because I was, as I was reading, reading that and read over it several times, it didn't make sense to me. It didn't fit the story. There's this guy with great need that comes to Jesus. It said, we we're told that Jesus was indignant, and then Jesus healed that man. He met his need. And the reason that it didn't make sense to me was, well, my definition of indignant has been uh, frustrated, ticked off, and a little bit angry. And there are a few times in Scripture where Jesus is frustrated, ticked off, and a little bit angry, but he's usually flipping tables when he does it. And he's not doing that here. So not only does it not really make sense in the context, it also didn't seem to really match with my understanding of Jesus. So I dug into it a little bit. And what I found out was this, that in the version that I read it in, in in NIV, and in several other translations, it says Jesus was indignant. But some translations say that Jesus was filled with compassion, which makes a whole lot more sense. This man comes with a need, Jesus was filled with compassion, and he performed this miracle. This, this compassion led him to action. And while that made more sense within the context of the story, and made more, it made more sense with my understanding of Jesus, it still didn't explain why then some translations, like the NIV, said Jesus was indignant. So I dug a little bit deeper, and this is what I found, that the the, the author of Mark uses a word here that it talks about being moved with emotion from the central part of your being. The, during that time, people understood our emotions not to be originating from our heart, but from our bowels. So in this story, the author is telling us that Jesus saw, had this man come to him with this great need, and Jesus from the central part of his being, from his bowels, was so moved, was so indignant, was so filled with this righteous anger at the injustice that this man was living in with leprosy that it moved him to action. In fact, this, pass, this word is used in 12 different passages throughout the New Testament, most of the time used to talk about Jesus. And every single time it's used, it's talked about someone being so moved with compassion that it moved them to action. The feeling was never separated from an action that followed it. And for us, for us who call ourselves Christ followers, to live the compassion of Jesus means that we can't just have an emotion, can't just feel bad about something or someone without it moving us to action. Apart from action, it's not Christ-like compassion. It's just sympathy. So what does this compassion of Jesus look like in our own lives? Have you ever seen an injustice and felt a fire in your stomach? For, for my wife and I, gender-based violence and human trafficking are two things that uh, we absolutely hate and are extremely passionate about. And for me, just thinking about it kind of turns my stomach upside down and sends like heat waves throughout my body with like goosebumps. Like, that's, that's what we're talking about here. When you feel something like that, when you see an injustice in the world with an individual, with a people group, or with a situation, and you feel that righteous anger from the 
innermost part of your being, that's the start of compassion. And when you feel this fire, this righteous anger, you have to do something about it because that's the way of Jesus. When you see someone hungry, someone in need of clothing, someone abused or enslaved or mistreated and in need, you have to do something about it. Let that fire, that compassion move you to action. And what does this look like? Well, it may look like a lady that reads when I met two weeks ago. She's a civil engineer in downtown Indianapolis, and we were sitting at a dinner with her and her husband. And as we got to know them, we found out that not only is she a civil engineer, but she also runs an orphanage in Sierra Leone, West Africa. Fifteen years ago, she was on a mercy ship. If you're unfamiliar with what those are, it's a ship that doctors, nurses, medical people go on, and they help do medical surgeries and meet needs around the world for people. And as a civil engineer, she was working on some specific projects on that trip, and they spent several weeks in Sierra Leone, where she got to meet a guy and got to know a guy and his wife. uh, His name was Emmanuel. And come to find out that Emmanuel and his wife had a passion, had a vision from God to start a ministry, start an orphanage in their community. She got to know them for a few weeks, came back to the U.S., worked with some of her friends together, and started a nonprofit to help fund that orphanage there in West Africa. And last year, on the small budget of $24,000, they served 32 orphans in their community. This lady, who followed the leading of God to go on this mercy ship, met this guy named Emmanuel, who was trying to live out his life of compassion and what God was leading him and his wife to do. And together, they were moved to action to start this orphanage, to meet the needs of kids in Sierra Leone. And this this compassion of Jesus may also look like a guy that I get to spend a lot of time with during the week. His name's John Blattsheim. He goes by Pastor John around Shepherd, and he's the most energetic, crazy, and most fit 65-year-old you will ever meet. Um, He's actually the most energetic, crazy, most fit person that I know, period. Uh, And he's a guy who, at the age of 57, was called into ministry. He was already retired at that point and was volunteering in our food pantry at Shepherd. And as he was getting to know our neighbors and the people that he worked with every week, he realized that a lot of them were coming on Saturdays to our food pantry but not coming on Sundays to church. And rather than try to force them or get them to come to church, he decided to take church to them and started a small Bible study at an apartment complex only four blocks away from Shepherd, but where a majority of our, our neighbors that came to our food pantry were coming from. So we started this Bible study, and over the last seven years, it's grown and grown. Outgrew every room in that apartment complex to where three and a half years ago they were doing, uh, they were holding Sunday morning worship service in the backyard. Now you might remember that summer. That's the summer we didn't get any rain. And if you have a garden or a farm, that was probably a really bad summer for you. Uh, but for us, it was absolutely amazing. It was an act of God because since it never rained, we were able to have church every week. Unfortunately, shortly after that, we had the Midwest winter hit, uh, the inevitable Midwest winter, and they, they moved back to our community center. So this morning at Shepherd, we have three congregations worshiping, that being one of them. And out of the about 400 people that will be there worshiping, about 200 of them will be in that congregation. And out of that congregation, we have had several of those people from that original Bible study help start outreach ministry into the homeless camps and some of the prisons around our neighborhood. Reaching people for Christ 
leading people to Christ. And it was all started out of a food pantry, out of this guy who was supposed to be done with full-time work, Pastor John, who was retired, who now raises all of his own support as a missionary, who felt the leading of God, saw a need, and he responded to it. But for you, you don't have to go all the way around the world or even all the way downtown Indy to be able to respond to God's calling in your life, to live a life of compassion like Jesus. You guys are a part of an amazing church here at Genesis. I did some research, and if either on your app, if you have the Genesis Church app, or if you go to genesischurch.me and click on the Contribute tab, there are some amazing ways that you can get involved with your church to donate and invest your time, your resources, and your talents for the work of the kingdom of God. And one of the great ways you guys as a church family are doing that is through the Spring Break Totes. And I was talking with someone last week at the Noblesville campus, and they were, they were asking me a little bit more about what the Spring Break Totes went towards and who they went to. And I thought maybe sharing a little bit of that would, would be helpful this morning as well. So Spring Break Totes, they originated out of a conversation about 10 years ago. It was right before Christmas, and my father was having a conversation with one of my friends. I was in high school, and he was in middle school. And my dad was talking with this middle schooler and asking him just about how excited he was for Christmas to come. You know, Christmas comes, you get off school, and it's Christmas. It's the most fun time of the year. And his response was that he wasn't excited. Because with Christmas break meant no school, and Shepard would close our programming down, which meant that almost all of his meals were eliminated for Christmas break. And for yet another break, he was faced with the harsh reality of hunger. So out of that conversation, over the last several years, Shepard has sought to try to bridge the gap when it comes to hunger. And in 2015, it was the first year that, that we were able to, and we'll do this again this year in 2016, to say that for every major public school uh, break, we're sending our students home with food totes like what you guys are doing for spring break. For fall, for Thanksgiving, for Christmas, and for spring break, our students, about 130 in our academy and about 150 in our after-school programs, are going home with food totes at every major break, helping bridge the gap of hunger, helping share a little bit of hope and the love of Christ. And you guys are helping meet a tangible need for some really wonderful students. And these, and these spring break totes are part of what we call our continuum of care at Shepherd, where for our neighbors with, with the students, we seek to journey with them from the age of zero all the way to age 25, working with pregnant and young mothers with their children at, in the most important and formative years of their life. And then we have a preschool, we have an academy for kindergarten through fifth grade in partnership with Horizon Christian School. And then for first through 12th graders, we do a, during the school year, we do an after-school tutoring, uh, academic component, and then during the summer we do a six-week summer day camp. An amazing time where the same kids come all six weeks, Monday through Friday, their parents drop them off in the morning, pick them up in the afternoon, and during the week they, we do tutoring, we cover academics, Bible lessons, field trips, fine arts, and for our middle and high school trips to businesses to begin to dream about what God might be calling them to in the workplace, to universities to realize that is an expectation and a reality for all of them, and uh, to work a little bit during the summer to make a little bit of money. And for those, for, for our students, when, when they graduate from high school, not if, 
we help them with, with whatever next, whatever that next step is, whether it be a two- or four-year school, the military, or stepping into whatever the first step is with their career. So that throughout this entire journey with them, for however long we are with them in, their, in this what we call our continuum of care, we're helping share the hope and love of Christ, and that they, as they enter into adulthood, have a hope for the future and have a hope in Christ. And when you guys, as a church, invest in Shepherd and invest in our students and in our neighbors with these food packs, you're not only contributing to this continuum of care, but you're investing in some really great students. Students like Curtis, who showed up at Shepherd 17 years ago. And for the first, second, third, and fourth week that he was there, he got kicked out because of his behavior. Curtis was a guy who had already been kicked out of IPS for his behavior issues and had been told he never would graduate because of his learning disabilities. After a few weeks, uh, we, the uh, differences were resolved, and he started becoming a part of our youth group. And it ended up, we got him plugged into a, a local private Christian school downtown. He graduated from high school. He went on to college at a university in West Virginia, graduated cum laude there, and met and married a wonderful Christian woman. And now, 15 years later, is back at Shepherd as one of our top senior leaders, serving in the community that he grew up in, serving the neighbors that he grew up next door to, and investing in Shepherd, a church and a ministry that invested uh, in him for so many years. And I had the opportunity when he went off to college to help him move. And while we were on our trek to West Virginia, I remember my dad asking Curtis this question. He said, you know, Curtis, there was five of you. There was you and four friends who showed up that first Wednesday night and the subsequent Wednesday nights to church but you're the only one going off to college. The other ones are homeless or dealing with different issues of substance abuse. How is it that out of the five, you're the one going to college? And Curtis said, you know, I gave up believing in myself a really long time ago, but you guys, the church, have never given up on believing in me, and I just can't let you guys down. One of the greatest privileges we have at Shepherd is being able to believe in our students and to communicate that hope to them. So when you invest in Shepherd, when you are helping meet a tangible need of hunger with these spring break totes, you're investing in students like Curtis. You're also investing in students like Denise, who got involved a handful of years ago in our middle school program. She's a year younger than me, so I grew up in the high school group with her as one of my friends. And she got involved because she realized for her what she wanted out of life could only be accomplished through college. And to get into college, she needed to do well in high school. And she's a brilliant young woman. But she got involved in our after-school program to be able to meet with some of our tutors. And as she got involved in Shepherd, her older sister and her mother and her older brother got involved. And as she got closer to college and realized that that really was a reality for her, something that she wanted, her older sister and her mother caught that vision as well. And in the last three years, all three of them have graduated from college. Denise went to the same university that Ritu and I did at Olivet, and two years ago went on her first trip outside the United States when we went to India and was able to share her testimony there with the people in central India. And after we got back from India, she came and worked at Shepherd for a year and is now working at One America in actuarial science, which I have absolutely no idea what that means other than it means that she's really bright and is doing a really great job in what she's doing. So you're investing in students like Denise and like Curtis. So one, thank you. We greatly appreciate your investment in some really great students. And 
if you're interested in maybe getting involved in, in some other way, we, we have the table out in the lobby, but I wanted to mention a few ways that you can get involved at Shepherd. One is through our clinic. If you're medically inclined, maybe not inclined, if you are medically professional, not just if you enjoy it. <laughs> Let me categorize that a little bit better. If you are a doctor, pharmacist, or nurse uh, and would like to volunteer some time, we do a free medical clinic on most Saturdays out of the month. If, you're more, if you have more of a green thumb and you enjoy gardening or if you like working with chickens, uh, which I absolutely hate. I, I've grown up in the city. I'm a city boy. Chickens scare me to death. Uh, the only time I've interacted with our chickens is when one escaped into one of our neighbor's backyards, and there were several of us trying to corner it. And I told the other guys, I said, if this, if this thing runs at me, I'm not, like, it's going to call my bluff. I'm getting out of the way. I'm not touching a chicken. <laughs> but if you're not that scared of chickens, uh, we have chickens. We have a gardening initiative. initiative. Actually, in a few weeks, we're going to be building about 50 doorframe gardens to send home with our families so they can grow produce with their own homes. If you are skilled with housing renovations and construction, we're working on renovating several homes in our neighborhood. The stat is within one square mile radius of Shepherd, about 30% of the homes are either abandoned or have been knocked down. And so we're working on renovating homes and building. Uh, so if that's, your, if that's your skill set, we'd love to, to partner with you as well. And if you just love students and you can tutor, we're always looking for tutors in our academy and our after-school program. I had a professor and a a pastor in college that would always sum up his messages by summing it in one sentence, which I always enjoyed because that meant whether or no matter how much I zoned out during the message, I still got something out of it when I walked away from it. So this morning, I want to leave you with one sentence, one question to wrestle with. And that question is this, will you live out the compassion of Jesus? What is your passion? What sets your inmost being on fire in righteous anger? How can you live out the compassion of Jesus in your homes, in your schools, in your workplaces, and here in this community? We as Christians are called to be like Jesus, and we're called to represent him in a world that has forgotten our creator. And an important part of that is having the compassion of Jesus. This compassion that's not just an emotion, not just feeling bad for someone, but it's having this emotion move you to Christ-like action. It's working to help others to right the wrongs in the world, to bringing Christ's justice, his love, and his good news to our neighbors and to our cities. Will you live out the compassion of Jesus? Will you be an ambassador for him? And will you be a witness to the world? Or to put it in the words of one first century Roman guard, who are you? And what are you doing here? Thank you.